Today on Abounding Grace. So Pastor Peter returns to submission of human rulers. We're to respect them, submit to all government authority. And if human laws contradict God's laws, then we follow God. But our time is not invested in overthrowing the government, but in overthrowing the kingdom of darkness in people's lives. That we would go after the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you glad he overthrew the kingdom of darkness in your life? This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. At various points in our lives, most of us will be in the workforce. And whether you're a janitor, a doctor, or a school teacher, God wants to use you in a wonderful way. Today on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Titter will show us how to demonstrate the presence of God in our lives on the job. It's a highly practical study framed around 1 Peter 2, verses 16 through 25. Let's see together what Peter has to say about the freedom submission brings. In the New Living Translation, they translate this verse 16, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. I like that word excuse because one of the things I, I learned early on as a parent, I passed on to my kids, uh, and I've even shared it here at the church. I've shared it in counseling sessions, and it's a very simple principle. If you in your life get, you get used to making excuses for your bad behavior, and if you get good at making excuses, eventually that's all you'll be good for. You just won't allow the Spirit of God to penetrate because you've always got a reason for your bad behavior. You've always got an excuse for your shortcut. You've always got an excuse for your disobedience. And, and it starts with the little things, things that seem insignificant, things that you're looking at, you're talking to me, you go, man, if you just can own this, you can own the rest of your life. No, no, it's not my fault. I mean, our culture, this culture right here, our culture has made victimization a profession. And everybody's the victim. Everybody's the victim. No, Jesus is the victor. You can choose to, you, can, you and I, we can choose to live our lives associating with the one that is victorious over sin and death. But instead, even followers of Christ, they settle for these things. Well, no, it's all, it's their fault. It's their fault. Look what they did to me. Look what they, no, no, no. Don't let your freedom be an excuse for sin. Because that's all you'll be living in. Sin and excuses. Sin and excuses. And you'll wonder why everything's destroyed. You'll wonder why you're so angry. you wonder why you're so bitter. you wonder why nobody wants to be around. you wonder, well, could it be that you've got this cycle of sin and excuse in your life instead of sin, repentance, and stop? Submission starts with God. You get hung up today on our message here because we started in verse 13, but it doesn't start submitting ourselves to every ordinance. It starts with submitting to God. He'll give you wisdom and direction. He'll show you. In the context here, Peter is teaching us by obeying the law, we can remove unnecessary and illegitimate criticisms to pave the way for the gospel. Jesus did this, we know, by paying his taxes. He took away an accusation. Jesus also told his disciples to pay their taxes, even though Rome used their tax money for purposes contrary to God's will. 
Later on, Paul would teach us that Christians should pay their taxes too. And Peter had learned that physical retaliation was not the best route since he had tried to defend Jesus by, by attacking the high priest servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter's speaking from experience. You don't, don't take things into your own hands. Submit. Live a life of following in line with the will of God. And so although we have this tremendous freedom in Jesus, it's not a freedom that we can use to sin or to hurt or to harm. And you know, especially with the church language, longer, longer you're around church and the longer you're around any uh, group of Christians, when somebody starts to get close to your sins that you like to do in the gray areas, things that you know are damaging, things that are hurting your family, things that are hurting you, you you'll begin to hear defensiveness in the, among believers usually surrounds this word legalism. You're being a legalist. No, I'm just telling you, man, going out and partying all night while your, your wife is home with the kids, not a good idea. I have freedom. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, yeah, you know, you actually can do whatever you want. Why don't you want to be home with your family? Why is your want to neglect your family, to neglect, like, like think about it. I could do whatever I want. Well, why isn't you, what you want the will of God? Because freedom will lead you along the path of God's will. You know, I have the freedom. I know it's legal now, Ed. I can smoke pot as much as I want. Well, I guess you can. You have the freedom. But, but why don't you use that freedom to take poison ivy and rub it all over your body? Why don't you take some of the grass that's out here on the curb in front of the church and roll that up and smoke it? You got freedom to do that too? Well, I'll tell you why. Because the choices you make are selfish. You can smoke grass all you want. I give you permission up and down. You can cut it every, every other week when it starts growing again and smoke it to your heart's desire. Won't cost you anything. Cultivate it. We'll plant more for you if you want. But see, the sinful nature in us uses freedom as a cloak for sin, a covering for sin. But it's not covered. It's exposed because our freedoms are going to lead us to honoring God. But not only that, notice, here's some things to look for. Number one, your freedom will cause you to honor other people. You know, you can't always agree with people. You can't always agree with their behaviors and such. But we can remember that Jesus died, that they might have life. So we can love our enemies. We can love our enemies. Why? It's because they're our neighbor. And we can honor them. We can respect them. Number two, we can love the brotherhood. We're to love all men, but there's a special love in the family of God. Amen? There's a special love among believers and sisters. The brotherhood, the sisterhood. There's something special about being in the family of God. Sure, we're a family, and we have all the, all the things that go with being family. But we can honor one another. We can love one another. And then notice, he says that we can fear God. We can fear God. Here's the key. Live with a healthy respect and reverence for God and His will for your life. Where glorifying Him becomes our number one priority. We fear doing anything that would displease Him. Or misrepresent his love and grace and holiness to others. I mean, just think about that. If you want to take a, a little post-it note, uh, you want to put a reminder on your phone, honor all people, love the brotherhood and the sisterhood, fear God. Before you ever write an email, before you ever post on Facebook or Instagram, if you follow these three things, everybody will like what you post. Because you'll think of others more highly than yourself. Every time you sit down to write, you know, you're so upset, I'm going to write that email. Wait a minute, does this honor that person? Is what I'm about to say 
express a love for the brothers or sisters? Do I really fear God in this or I just want to express myself? And then notice he also adds in the context of where they're at, honor Nero, honor the king. So Pastor Peter returns to submission of human rulers. We're to respect them, submit to all government authority. And if human laws contradict God's laws, then we follow God. But our time is not invested in overthrowing the government, but in overthrowing the kingdom of darkness in people's lives. That we would go after the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you glad he overthrew the kingdom of darkness in your life? Aren't you glad that someone came with the good news of the gospel to you? Aren't you glad you jumped into a rental car and some station was on that was pre-programmed and you hit all the buttons? It was the same station. Why? Because God loves you. And the gospel will save your life physically and spiritually. So let's get a little bit deeper here. Verse 18. (laughs) Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. Because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering, mark that word, wrongfully. So let me just break the bad news to you. You will suffer wrongfully. And it most likely will happen in this servant-master relationship. Now, of course, in Peter's culture, this is referring to literal wickedness of slavery. 60 million slaves lived in the Roman Empire. Many of them, attracted to the love of Jesus, became Christians. And the gospel gave them hope and meaning in life. And Peter's word to these very people is submit. You have a good master? Submit to them. A harsh one? Submit to them. Now, praise God in our culture today, although it did in a very wicked time in the past in our country, but not today. In the way it was in the past, there's no more slavery. But the application from this section is clear. The servant was the person that that faced the most difficulty in relating to the person over him because of the authority that they had. And the application today would not be more along the lines of slavery, but rather the employer-employee relationship, where there is quite a bit of authority over you in how you do your job, where you do your job, how you're compensated for your job. Work is where it's at. Most of you listening to me right now spend most of your time at work. And so work is where it's at. Work is the theater of God. It's his movie screen, if you will. The main attraction is you. (laughs) You are the actress, the actor in this movie of life. The Christian is on display at work. Probably the only other place that the Christian is on more display in, its raw, in her or his rawest form is at home. You've got home, the reality, and you have work, the reality. And you know how difficult it is at work. You know how challenging it can be. If you have a good boss, great, submit to them. You've got a bad boss, oh, yell at them. No, that's not what it says. Take advantage of them, no. With all the stresses and strains, all the tensions and tests, all the deadlines and demands, the world gets to see one of Jesus' own in action. They see you and they go, man, why doesn't that bother you? And they begin to ask. You work so hard. You don't go home early. You're not a clock watcher. And that's noticeable in a world where people don't work very hard and they're clock watchers. Our work is our opportunity to witness. It's not necessarily what they see as much as what he sees. 
So what's before us, I think, is a matter of perspective. Do, do we see work as a drudgery and pain, or do we see it as a place of worship and devotion? There are even times here, you know, where I just encourage the guys, I encourage the gals, like, man, this is such a privilege to work in a church. But man, there's the flesh here too. I always remind people when I do an interview, I, I, I always remind them, you're not going to work at heaven. This is not heaven. These are just people. We're all working things out. We can lose perspective too. Somebody even looked at and caught, I, I forget where I got this from, but somebody even saw this and, and looked at it and they, they called work the Monday moaning. It's, oh, it's Monday again. I hate Mondays. Oh God, bring on Fridays. And then of course they even have the phrase, thank God it's Friday. And what that means in our culture is the weekend's here. I don't have to work. I've got my own freedom. In many ways you can go party and go do your own thing. And work has just been lost of the time that we spend around other people. Which, you know, I think it's easy to go, oh, Ed, you're so out of touch, man. You haven't been in the workplace for 21 years. You work in the ministry. Change your voice when you say that. The ministry. You're a full-time minister. You work with the angels. And your nose is in the Bible all the time. You get to pray every day, all day. I mean, you don't even see me behind the pulpit. You think I'm six inches off the ground when I walk through. No problems for you. No hassles, no stress, no nothing. You work at the church, man. And over the years, you know, people go, what do you do on Mondays? You golf. On Tuesdays, you, what do I have here? You play tennis. (laughs) That's such a silly thing, but I tried to rhyme the letters. (laughs) On Wednesdays, you go bike riding. Thursdays, you play video games. All you do is 45 minutes of teaching. What do you do around here? You're in the sacred place, and I'm in the secular world. Do you know the Bible really never makes that division? Oh, and by the way, that is not an accurate description of my schedule. But the Bible never makes that division between secular and sacred like we do. It never makes that division for the believer where you're one thing in one setting and you're another thing in another setting. And, you know, my time at work before coming here, uh, I worked for a mom and pop company and a family company. It was super challenging there. And then we were bought by a corporation and it was super challenging there. And then we were bought by another corporation, and that was super challenging. And God began to navigate my life up into upper management. And I mean, it was hard. It was a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week job. And I carried two pagers and a cell phone, and it was out of control. And I remember how challenging and difficult it was for me, for my family. It was hard. It was stressful. However, nothing has been more stressful in my life than pastoral ministry. Not church planting, pastoral ministry. I mean, I understand in a very real way why pastors quit. I understand. I understand why they throw up their hands and say, I'm done. It's enough. I understand where, you know, you're just sitting in an office one last time and the husband's yelling at the wife and the wife's yelling at the husband and you're just like, Seriously? And then, you know, if they end up making eye contact, they start yelling at you like it's your fault. That all 20 years of their marriage is like the pastor's fault. And all the other things that are associated. You know, Paul, when you look at what he went through, everybody goes through things. Which is to say this. We all go through things. And we're all in a place where submission is required. 
The Bible never makes a separation. And according to Colossians chapter 3, in verse 23, it says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do is to draw people to his son. And the way that works in the workplace is servants, or you could say, verse 18, employees, be submission to your masters with all fear, not only to the ones you like, good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. This is the grace of God on display because you have a conscience toward God that you're enduring the grief and you're even suffering wrongfully. Verse 20, what credit is it then if you're beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer for it, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. Listen, verse 23. This is the fat path of Jesus. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Remember, he would say in, the, in Matthew, Jesus would teach us, says, look, if you're compelled to go a mile, go another mile. If somebody asks for your jacket, you give them your jacket and give them your cloak too. Be above and beyond what the normal person would be because it's commendable before God and God will use it. All the way as Joseph did all the way into Egypt because there's a plan that God is working out in your life that you don't see the full picture yet. He's working out in your life. That's what you trusted when you were born again. And now you've been walking with them for a while and you're finding out, oh, it's still hard, still difficult, still challenging, except you're in relationship with your creator and you have a hope. It's interesting in our prayer time, you can be helpless and yet still have hope. You know that God is working things out. You're on display, especially, listen, you're on display, especially when things go wrong. Suffering because you deserve it brings no glory to God. <laughs> Suffering because you deserve it brings no glory to God. If you deserve it, then what is that really in the eyes of God? You can't say, if you deserve it, you can't say, oh, I just had this big trial at work. Really? What happened? What happened? Why? What's the trial? Well, well, I didn't like this new memo that came down, so I walked in my boss's office, pounded on his desk, ripped it up in front of his face, threw it there, and said, I ain't following this. And what did my boss say? You're fired. Oh, woe is me crucified as a Christian. Oh, it's all because I'm a Christian. No, actually it's not. It's because you acted like a jerk and your boss was afraid of you and you were insubordinate and you were deceitful and you were deceptive. You deserved it. But here's where the temptation is to become a victim. God will have nothing, none of that. You yell at your boss, you rip up a report, you yell at him, you complain, you murmur, you gossip behind the scenes, you stir up strife in the office, your name keeps coming up and people keep coming into the office and you find you're the source of it all. No, you deserve it. There's no glory to God. None. The only response to that is return to the Lord, repent and restore that relationship. And some of you may need to go back to your boss. I remember having to go back to, back in that mom and pop place that I worked, going back and apologizing, asking for forgiveness to the family. And it was, wasn't until I was a believer, I, I didn't like working there at all, except that that family provided a living. It wasn't much, but it provided just enough to pay the bills. 
Well, almost enough, but Marie and I were figured out how to make it last more. Like God, God was so faithful to us, even when we didn't follow him. And I remember going back to each of the family. There was a mom and dad and the kid and their children, the adult children and asking for forgiveness because I could have been a better employee. I could have. And it just, God was restoring those relationships. I'm still friends with them to this day. And it's a good friendship, a good relationship that I have with them. Here's the thing. If someone says something about you, against you, tries to overthrow you, undercut you, tries to get you fired, uh, you're overlooked, you're underpaid, listen, you find favor with God. That's the place of favor. Don't throw in the towel so quickly if you did what was right and now you're in trouble. Don't be so quick to give up. Stand strong, not in your own strength, but in the power of Jesus because you were called to this, he says, verse 21. You were called to this. This is the will of God, to be countercultural, to be different, to be willing to pay the price to obey God. And as I said, there's a high price associated with, there's a high price associated with obedience to God. Hey, thank you for joining us today for Abounding Grace. And don't rush away because Pastor Ed Taylor will share more in a moment. His message today is titled, The Freedom Submission Brings. You can hear this message again when you visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or hear Abounding Grace through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play to download that for free today. I'd like to suggest our resource of the month, a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Christmas. Taking the approach of a journalist, Lee Strobel searches out the true identity of the child in the manger. He consults experts on the Bible, archaeology, and messianic prophecy. We'll send it your way when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Please remember, this radio ministry is made possible through your generous support. And as the year comes to an end, this would be a wonderful time to hear from you. And you can place a resource request when you call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order resources like this at calvaryco.store, calvaryco.store. And if you just like to make a donation to the ministry, you can do that online at aboundinggraceradio.com. Hey, thank you again for helping us reach out through the radio with the gospel and truth of Jesus Christ. Let's return to our study of 1 Peter 2 now. It says in verse 24, or excuse me, at the end of verse 23, you might want to have this. Here's a key. You might want to have this highlighted. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. His hope was in the Lord. Perhaps you get righteous judgment here on earth. Maybe, maybe not. But when you commit yourself to him who judges righteously, you remember verse 24, that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus, he's done everything for us. We were like sheep going astray, but now we're with the shepherd. And we now choose to obey the shepherd. Sometimes that just hurts when we're treated wrong. It just hurts. But Jesus committed no sins. No deceit was in his mouth, according to verse 22. He himself bore our sins. Why? So that we might die to sin and die to ourselves and die to our agendas and our feelings and our wills and our desires and live for what is right as a vessel 
to use in a world that so desperately needs him. And you know you're, you know that you're living out the gospel. You know the right message is on your lips where you can take it anywhere in the world and a person will be converted. Anywhere in the world. Sure, you might need a translator, but you take the gospel message anywhere in the world and it will save souls no matter what language, no matter what culture, no matter what government, the gospel saves lives. But you know, there is a social type of gospel. There is a cultural, and I, I hesitate to even call it a gospel, but there is something that takes the place of the gospel that you can't transplant from the United States. It won't save souls. It's not even saving souls here because it's different for the believer. It's different. It's self-sacrifice. The place for the believer for the follower of Jesus is at the cross. And the cross is not merely a decoration or a piece of jewelry. It's an instrument of death. So that when you hear Jesus say, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. He's speaking of self-sacrifice. He's speaking of dying to ourselves. The cross comes first, then the crown. Next time on Abounding Grace, Pastor Ed Taylor brings a word of encouragement to wives as our series in 1 Peter resumes. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.